Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. We're doing something a little bit different, unusual, and, and uh, maybe because of that, um, it's made me struggle a little bit. I felt like I did in the first service. I, I did the first half of this message last week, uh, so I'm going to hip just a little bit of that to where you can tie the, the lines together, connect the dots together uh, somewhat. So that might be why I felt like I was kind of personally struggling some of the first service. The other part of it, it's been a really, really busy week. We've had a lot of things going on in people's lives and everything like that. Maybe I'm just so distracted uh, by, by some of those things. We'll give you some prayer requests at the end. But uh, anyway, uh, this series we're doing, as John kind of alluded to, we're focusing on missionaries from the past, how God had used them to change their world. Our question is, will God... Uh, will we let God use us, use our lives to change our world uh, in kind of similar ways? Not the exact same way, necessarily, but uh, God has things for you to do. He has things for uh, for me to do uh, also. And he may have bigger things for us to do that we've not realized yet that could go beyond what some of these missionaries have done. But we just need to be sensitive and, uh, and hear from him. Uh, today, we're going to finish up talking about a missionary by the name of David uh, Brainerd. And we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 8 through 13 is where the passage of Scripture is located. Uh, David Brainerd is a little bit different than some of the other missionaries that we've talked about. Uh, instead of him losing his life because he was proclaiming the gospel and being martyred or murdered uh, because of the gospel, instead, he lost his life because of a health condition, tuberculosis, coupled with him just burning himself out for the gospel. Uh, he started trying to minister to the Indians in the Northeast when he was 21 years old. At the age of 29, he died at the age of 29. Uh, but during that time, he did a lot trying to reach those Indians uh, there in the Northeast. And we'll uh, talk a little bit about that. I'll read you some of his stories, some of his quotes uh, also during the message um, I want you to look at, at verse 13 uh, of that chapter, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 13. Um, I'll uh, read through some of the other scriptures in a moment, but I want you to notice what Paul says in 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So he talks about a pattern. He's writing to Timothy that's like his son in the faith, that he's a mentor in, in the faith. And he's calling Timothy to follow a pattern. And I think the life of the Apostle Paul, what God did through the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, gives us a pattern that we need to be concerned about. I think in the verses we're looking at today, we can find four characteristics of, uh, of a gospel ministry that you need in your life, that I need in my life, that we need in our church Four characteristics that we can find in the life of the Apostle Paul that David uh, Brainerd tried to copy in his own ministry also as he uh, reached out uh, to those Indian tribes. So here's the first characteristic. I'm going to give you the ones we talked about last week just briefly. Characteristic number one that's found in these verses is found in verse 8. And uh, they have the characteristic is this, guys. We should never be ashamed of Christ and his gospel. That's what Paul writes there. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. Uh, right before he talks about being ashamed, never being ashamed, in the verse before that, uh, Paul had told Timothy, hey, God didn't give you a spirit of fear at all. Instead, it, it involved God's power in your life, of sound mind and, and God's power in your life. So, uh, then he goes on from that and say, because of that, because that's true, that, that God gave you not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. He, he said, now, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of his testimony. Don't be ashamed of the gospel message is more or less what he's saying. And if you understand what the gospel message is, guys, why in the world would we be ashamed of it? Paul, the same Paul, was used of God to write in, in Romans, it's the power of God to salvation. 
You know, why in the world would we be ashamed of what Jesus has done for us? Why in the world would we ever be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord and the power of of his salvation in our lives? The amazing thing that uh, by the t- by the time Brainer really uh, started having some success with the with the Indians, it was about three years that he had a lot of success with them. He was traveling around to different areas in the Northeast, going from state to state, from one tribe to the other tribe, uh, trying to reach them. And when we will understand how significantly God used his testimony, how missionaries throughout history, from his life to today, are still uh, kind of. Uh, inspired by David Brainerd's story, then it's an amazing thing that he only ministered really successfully for three years. He was doing it for eight years, but really only successfully for those last three years. I asked you last week how many had ever heard of Jonathan Edwards before. So if you were here last week, you heard of who Jonathan Edwards is, right? How many know now who Jonathan Edwards was? Sinners of the hand of an angry God. He was a contemporary of David Brainerd's. Uh, and we'll hear more about that also in the message. Second characteristic I want you to notice uh, found in this passage of scripture that we need to have as a characteristic of the gospel ministry in our own lives is this. Number two is that we need to be fully convinced of your calling. That's found in verse 9 through 11. I'm not going to reread all those. If you weren't here last week, uh, just take time and uh, read through those verses. But uh, uh, you can see Paul there saying that he was fully convinced of his calling, uh, that God had called him with a holy calling, uh, not because of works that he had done, but because of God's purpose in his life. And guys, what was true of Paul, uh, I think a lot of times we sell ourselves short for. We'll think, well, sure, that's true of the life of the apostle Paul. He was the apostle Paul. Do you understand the apostle Paul is just as human as you and I are? Do you realize that? The same God that called the Apostle Paul, he has things for you to do. He has things for me to do. It may not be the same kind of stuff that Paul did, but God has a calling on our lives, and we need to respond to that call. All of us have a call from God. Specifically, all of us have a call to spread the gospel. All of us have a call to fulfill the Great Commission, because that's what it was. It's a commandment Jesus gave us. It's not just some suggestion that we can grab hold of if we want to. If we don't want to, then we're not under an obligation. We're all, as believers, under an obligation to understand God's called us to ministry. And that's what the Apostle Paul realized in his life. And that's what David Brainerd also realized in, in his life, that he had been called to the, to the Christian ministry. Now we're going to pick back up where we left off last week. Characteristic number three is this. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Look what Paul writes here to Timothy. Sharing suffering... For the gospel, by the power of God. And then later on, in this passage in verse 12, he said, which is why I suffer as I do. Put yourself in Timothy's shoes for a minute. And I'm not going to say Timothy responded like this, but Timothy's human too. Amen? Maybe at this point in time, everything that Paul had been teaching Timothy and mentoring Timothy's life and everything. It was uh, something that really encouraged Timothy. (laughs) Now, all of a sudden, Paul writes to Timothy and and he says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Pictures have an issue. Wouldn't they give you hesitation for a moment? I mean, a a lot of believers would kind of say, wait, wait a minute, Paul. I thought we were going to have a campfire and sing kumbaya. I thought we were just going to have church fellowships and eat fried chicken. After all, if we're called a ministry, you're supposed to eat fried chicken, right? I thought we we're just going to meet every now and then at church and get together and sing songs, and then we'll go home and live our lives, and then we'll show back up maybe the next Sunday and sing some more songs, and then we'll go away and, and live our lives uh, again. What do you mean, Paul, that you want me to suffer Share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. I'm afraid that's a little bit foreign to the American church. I'm afraid that maybe it's foreign to the American church. Maybe we haven't been dogmatic enough with the gospel to cause anyone to 
want to make us suffer. <laughs> I hate to say that. But guys, there are Christians across the world that are suffering, bleeding, dying, being rejected by their families because they decide to, to trust Christ. And in those areas where that's happening, do you know what else is happening there too? The gospel is spreading like wildfire. Even though it's underground, it's spreading because people understand the cost of following Christ. We've watered it down in our American culture. Well, we'll go to church and go home. We'll go to church and, and go home. When Paul writes here to Timothy, telling him you need to be willing to share in suffering. Two things there. One's the willingness to suffer. The willingness to suffer. When he says share in, in suffering for the gospel. And then Paul said, this is why I suffer as I do. Sharing in suffering means to suffer in hardships in company with. Paul had suffered. Reread the life of the Apostle Paul just as we see it in the New Testament. And, and think about the times that Paul has suffered, being arrested, being stoned, being, being shipwrecked, whatever aspect. As Paul served Jesus, he suffered a lot. David Brainer, that we're looking at in the story today, he, he suffered a lot. These missionaries that we've been focusing on, they, they suffered a lot. And I think we need to be willing to do that ourselves if, if we have to face it for Jesus' sake. We need to be willing to suffer hardships in company with Jesus, in company with the Apostle Paul, in company with these missionaries for the sake of the gospel, for the good news. And Paul said, which is why I suffer as I do. And we might want to ask ourselves, Paul, why in the world were you willing to suffer? Why were you willing to go through all those things? Well, we focused on these things last week, but let me remind you what Paul said, verse 9 through 11. As Paul writes about Jesus, he says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, in which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who then did this, who abolished death and brought life in immortality to life through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Here's the why that Paul was willing to suffer. Jesus had suffered for him. Jesus had saved him. Jesus had called him. Jesus had brought the gospel to life. Jesus had abolished death. Jesus had brought life and immortality through the gospel. <laughs> because of everything that, that Jesus had done for the apostle Paul. And Paul, under the awareness of that, that's why Paul was willing to suffer. And, and guys, here's our question for us. Are you saved? Do you know Christ as your Savior? And if you do, Jesus suffered for you every bit as much as he did the apostle Paul. He suffered for me every bit as much as he did for any of these missionaries or anybody else we've been looking at in this series. I'm just saying our response ought to be at least a willingness to suffer. A willingness to, to, for the gospel to cost us something. A willingness for us to, to share our faith, no matter what someone else might say, no matter how the world may retaliate or reject us. We, we ought to have a, a willingness to suffer. And if we would just look at the cross and what Christ has done for us, that ought to empower our willingness to suffer. But I don't just see a willingness to suffer. I want you to notice an ability to suffer in this passage of Scripture. Verse 8, he says, Share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. Don't think you can share in suffering by your own power. We're still creatures of flesh. Our flesh wants to recoil from suffering, amen? We want to flee from it. We want to get out from underneath it. But Paul said here, you've got the ability to suffer for the gospel by the power of God. By God's power. The, the Greek word dunamis is used there that we see so often in the New Testament. We get our English word dynamite or dynamo from it. If you're a Christian, you've been given the power of God in your life 
through the gospel and that power of God. Yes, it's the power of God to salvation that we've already talked about in Romans 1 in verse 6. But the gospel message is not just the power of God to salvation. The gospel and all that Jesus has done for us ought to also be the power that enables us to suffer if we're called to suffer. Go back to what I said a moment ago. Look at Jesus. Think about what Jesus has done. See him beaten and bruised. See him nailed to the cross. See him with all the suffering that he went through, the excruciating pain that he had. And not just the physical pain, guys. He had that emotional pain placed upon himself when our sin was going to be placed upon him. And he knew that was coming. And he had so much stress in himself there in Gethsemane. He sweated drops of blood because he knew what was on the way. See what Jesus has done for you and allow, as you focus upon what he's done, allow that to enable you to suffer if you're called to suffer. Our our problem is this, when we suffer, (laughs) when we start suffering, we look within and we look at our circumstances and we get on pity parties, poor, you know, poor, poor old me and what I'm going through. That's where Satan wants you to look. <laughs> Satan never wants you to look at the cross ever. Not for your salvation and then after you're saved, he doesn't want you to remember the cross. Because here's the deal with that, guys. Remembering the cross enables us to do tons of things for Jesus. Remembering the cross and having our focus on the cross. Instead of sitting around saying, poor me, when I'm going through something, you ought to say, hey, I'm getting to do this for him who did this for me. It ought to enable us and empower us to be willing to suffer if, if, if necessary for the sake of the gospel. Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel, as I said several times. David Brainerd was willing to suffer so Indians might hear. Now, in our culture, we think, man, that's great that he, that he did that. I want to remind you when he was doing it. He was born in 1718. <laughs> Back then, the average white person looked at Indians as subhuman. They looked at Indians as someone just to be chased off of their land. Someone to be executed, someone to run in with an army and murder. In that day and time when that was the focus of most white people, David Brainerd had a different focus. His focus was, that's a lost person that needs to hear the gospel. And he was willing to suffer both struggling with his tuberculosis and traveling from place to place trying to reach the Indians. Traveling in 17... 18, or the early part of the 17th century when he was doing his ministry. He died, I think, in uh, 1749. Traveling wasn't as easy then as it is now either. And he was going to multiple states, to multiple tribes of Indians trying to reach them with the gospel. He was living his life in solitude. I mentioned to you last week that his father died when he was nine, I think. His mother died when he was 14. So he'd already spent a lot of his life in solitude. And now he's he's living there trying to reach these Indians. He's living in solitude. He's, He's living in a wigwam trying to identify with the Indians. He's living very poorly without the common comforts of life. He's sleeping on a bed of straw. Sometimes he was starving to death, only having boiled corn and something else he called hasty pudding to eat how many want to go to a restaurant this morning after i get through preaching and ask do you have any hasty pudding that i can have that doesn't even sound like anything i want to eat does it you hasty pudding i mean i can't imagine the hasty part's just throwing whatever it is together I'm going to age myself. Some of you, maybe they still do it in the public schools. I don't know. But when I was in high school, when Becky and I were in high school, kind of near the end of the week, they would do something that they call shepherd's pie as long as it was a delicacy for you or something. You know what it was? It was everything that had been left over all week long that they had fixed the rest of the week that they just kind of scraped together in a pan with some mashed potatoes and whipped it all up. And then here, here's your wonderful shepherd's pie pie <laughs> on those days i normally went to the vending machines and ate junk food 
But he was, he was eating boiled corn and hasty pudding and almost starving to death as he tried to, to minister to those Indians. And yet he wrote this. David Brainer said, I have less desire to live for any of the pleasures of the world than I have ever had. I long and love to be a pilgrim and want grace to imitate the life, labors, and sufferings of Paul among the heathen. How many of us can say that today? Can you honestly say in your life right now that you're less interested in the things of the world than you've ever been? Can can you honestly say in, in your life right now that what you really desire more than anything is to God give you the grace and the ability to imitate the life, the labors, and the sufferings of the Apostle Paul. Instead of caring for his health, Brainerd dealt with suffering of tuberculosis and he continued to minister to the Indian tribes. He would travel several miles a day in a time that was difficult to travel, not easy like it is for us today to the Indians. He would travel in New York, in Massachusetts, in Pennsylvania, in New Jersey, and he did so for the last eight years of his life, even though only three of those years were very successful trying to reach the Indians. The characteristic number three is this. It might not be a characteristic we like and we want to gravitate toward, but you see it in the life of Paul, and it needs to be part of our life if necessary that you and I... Number one, are not ashamed of Jesus. Number two, that we understand we all have a calling from God. And number three, that we're willing to suffer if necessary because Jesus suffered for us. The fourth characteristic of an effective gospel ministry is this. Have complete confidence in Christ. Have complete, total confidence in Christ. I'm not just talking about the confidence of your salvation. I'm talking about the confidence you have in Jesus to face whatever the world may throw your way, to face whatever may happen to you as you try to serve Christ, that type of of confidence. Paul writes this in verse 12, the second part of verse 12 down through verse 13. But I'm not ashamed For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul had complete confidence in Christ. Brainerd had complete confidence in Christ. They displayed that in their ministries. Let me spend just a couple of minutes as we finish out this passage of Scripture giving you a picture of what I think complete confidence looks like based upon what Paul says here. Complete confidence, first of all, in Christ, I think, banishes shame. Banishes shame. Paul had already said that he wasn't ashamed. But now he says, but I am not ashamed And here's why, (laughs) because I know in whom I believed. In other words, I'm not ashamed because I have complete confidence in the one I believed in. And, And if you and I would get that, if we would understand no matter what we're facing in our life, no matter what we're going through in our life, no matter what the world throws our way as we try to serve Jesus, if we would recognize we can have complete confidence because we know who we believed in. We understand where our faith lies. Paul's faith wasn't in himself. His faith was in Christ. He's saying, I'm not ashamed, not because I'm the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I'm not ashamed because of who I believed in, because of who I put my trust in. Who had he put his trust in? He had put his trust in the second part of the triune God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, eternal God, Jesus Christ that I think the Bible teaches was used as God's agent of creation when he said, let there be light. And he spoke creation into existence. That's who Jesus is. Jesus Christ. 
Christ who came into this world and lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus Christ who willingly went to the cross for my sin and for your sin. Paul said, hey, that's the person that I've trusted in. That's whom I believed in. So I'm not going to be ashamed because I know in whom I believed. We would banish shame from our lives, I think, if we'd focus more upon who we believed in. Don't worry about what the world thinks. Don't worry what that person at work or your neighbor or whatever might think if you try and reach them with the gospel and you try and share the gospel with them. Don't be ashamed. Remember who it is that you've trusted and let that drive and banish shame out of your life. Secondly, I think complete confidence looks like this. Back up, please. Complete confidence is in Christ. Not in yourself. Not in your abilities. Look what Paul wrote there. After he said, I know in whom I believed, he said, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Look at how he put that. I'm convinced that who's able Paul's not saying, I'm able. Paul's not saying because I'm the great apostle Paul, I'm able to do all these things. And I'm able to keep everything that I'm doing ministry-wise until that day. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this, I'm convinced that he is able. If you trust yourself to be able to fulfill the great commission or to be able to fulfill whatever calling God gives you in life, if you trust yourself to do it, you'll never ever get it done because he's the one that does it. You can't do it. He wants to do it through you. Here's our problem, I think, in, in the church in this modern day. When we start thinking about doing something for Jesus... We start looking inside of ourselves. And I don't mean looking for God's presence and God's spirit. You're you're reflecting upon who you are and what you see is your abilities or your inability. And you'll withdraw from doing the things that God is calling you to do because you're thinking, "I, I can't do it. Can I set your mind at ease? Listen, listen. If you don't get anything else, get this this morning. You can't do it. Go ahead and settle that one. You can't do it. You can't do by yourself whatever God calls you to. You can't fulfill the Great Commission. You can't win somebody else to Jesus. You can't do it yourself. And if you just look within yourself, that's why you're going to recoil and run away thinking, I can't do what he's called me to do. Hey, he didn't call you to do it. He just wants you to be available. He's going to do it through you. That's why he says, I'm convinced that he is able to guard to that day all that's been entrusted to me. Man, that includes a lot. That includes Paul's personal salvation. That includes every missionary journey, every person that he ever won to the Lord, everything that Paul ever did for the Lord. Paul is saying, hey, I know that he's going to keep it until that day. And they gave him the confidence to serve. They gave him the confidence to spread the gospel. And the same thing is true, I think, in in David Brainerd's life. They had the, the confidence there because... The confidence is in Jesus, not, not in Paul, not in David Brainerd. It wasn't in himself. The confidence is, is in Jesus. That's where your confidence ought to lie. Listen to some words of David Brainerd. My soul seemed to rely wholly upon God for success. Guys, that's what you're supposed to do. My soul seemed to rely wholly upon God for success. And then later on, I just kind of put some dots in, picking back up later in his statement. He was saying, I saw with the greatest certainty that the arm of the Lord must be revealed for the help of these poor heathen. If ever they were to be delivered from the bondage of the powers of darkness. You see what he's saying? Brainerd's just saying, if if these Indians are going to come to Christ, it's going to be by the power of God doing it. 
Guys, that same truth applies in our culture. If you want to see the darkness of our culture change, it will not be you and I using our ingenuity to do it. It will be you and I being available for God to do it through our lives and to quit worrying what the world thinks and quit worrying what somebody else thinks and do what God has called us to do based on his power. See, God can do some amazing things that sets the stage for great things to happen. Let me give you an example of that in in, in Brainerd's life. On his first missionary journey, he was going to a place called the Forks of the Delaware in Pennsylvania to try and reach an Indian tribe there. First trip, he's... A little ways outside the encampment of the Indians, he set up a tent. He's out there praying out in the wilderness. The next day, he's getting ready to try and go in and connect with the Indians. Well, the Indians, of course, already knew he was there. He was on their territory. And their spies had already reported, there's some pale face, that's their terminology. (laughs) There's some white guy out here in a tent outside of our territory. So what they did was send a group of warriors that night to go and kill David Brainerd. And as the warriors are sneaking up in the middle of the night, planning to kill David Brainerd, they see David Brainerd on his knees, leaning over on his face, praying before God. So they stop and they watch. Then while they're watching, a large rattlesnake slivers out of the brush and comes into the tent where David Brainerd is praying. David Brainerd did not even know it was there. He continues to pray. The rattlesnake raises up like it's going to strike. The Indian said the tongue of the snake was almost slick and touching his head. And then for no reason, the rattlesnake uncoiled itself and slithered back into the brush. The Indians didn't kill him. Instead, they went back to the rest of the tribe, and here's the report in their mindset. The great spirit is with this pale face. Because of the providence of God, because God performing a miracle, bringing a snake in and making a a snake leave while the Indians are watching, the next day when Brainerd goes in to the Indians, they receive him instead of kill him. And what God did that night set a platform for him to be able to go in because they, here, here's also what they said in their terminology. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. And they were willing to listen to Brainerd come in and not kill him as he came in to share the gospel. Guys, we need to have complete confidence in God, complete confidence in in the sovereignty of God, complete confidence in the promise of God in in our lives. Just like God used a situation to establish a platform to where he can start reaching the Indians, God can do similar things in your life to build platforms and bridges into the life of other people to where they will see you as a person from God and see evidence that you have been with God and that you know Christ and begin to Listen to what you say to them. Complete confidence is in Christ. Complete confidence is knowing who you've believed in. Complete confidence is also this. Complete confidence is displayed by following sound doctrine based in Christian faith and love. Verse 13 again. Follow the pattern. That phrase, follow the pattern, means to hold to a sketch or an imitation. Follow the pattern of the sound words. He's he's talking about sound doctrine. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. He's writing to Timothy. He said, Timothy, remember this. Grab hold of, hold on to the the imitation, to the sketch of 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 the doctrine, the sound words that I've given you. But do so in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And that phrase means in a permanent fixed position of faith and love. Which, by the way, was in a permanent fixed position in Christ. 
You and I need to hold a sound doctrine. We, we need to understand what we believe. But guys, we need to do so by holding unswervedly on to faith and love as we hold on to sound doctrine. And the reason we in a fixed position need to hold on to faith and love is because faith and love is in a fixed position in Christ. And if we're his followers, we're supposed to display the same things that he displayed. You might be thinking, what what, what do you mean by that? Sound doctrine is important. Amen? That's why you need to read the Bible. That's, That's why you need to know what the Word of God has to say. Sound doctrine is important. You need to build your life based upon sound doctrine as a believer, not the culture around you. But sound doctrine. So this is why this is important. You, you need to read it. You need to pray. Or you, need, you need to understand what God says. Because that, that's sound doctrine that we need to have in our lives. But sound doctrine with a mean spirit won't reach anybody for the kingdom of God. And there are way too many people that have sound doctrine. And I believe this. I believe it from cover to cover. I even believe the maps. But they will try and make rules based upon the scriptures and apply them forcibly to the lives of others. It's it's the equivalent of, Carl, do you know Christ is your Savior? You don't? Well, here, let me beat you into submission. (laughs) And guys, that... You know, that, that, that seemed like it's funny, and I, and I did it just to get your attention. But that's what's happening in so many places where people, I've got this sound doctrine, but they do not display it with faith and love. And you have all the sound doctrine in the world, but if you're not displaying it with the faith and love that's found in Christ, you're not going to make much progress in reaching anybody else. If, if we do not display it with faith and love. Richard, thank you, brother, for praying for me earlier. I told Richard earlier between the services how I felt like I struggled in the first service. He put his hand on me in my office and prayed over me. And I think God's hearing his prayers. Jesus sketched out the pattern for ministry for us. And we need to follow the sketch of the pattern that Jesus has made. Sound doctrine with faith and love. Let me give you just a little bit more information about Brainerd, and we'll be done in just a minute. On June 19, 1745, Brainerd left the forks of the Delaware and went to Cross Weeksung, New Jersey, where he'd find the great success he had been searching for. As in Pennsylvania, on his arrival, he found the Indians had been scattered. Why? Because us white people were chasing them off. Unlike before, however, they offered no objections to his preaching and they began to quickly gather others. So not only were they listening, they were going and saying, hey, you need to come listen to what's being said. That's like a good pattern for us, doesn't it? Bring others with us. At the end of July, during a return to the Forks of Delaware, a major breakthrough occurred when Brainerd's interpreter and his wife were saved and baptized now here's the significance of that i've preached before with an interpreter last time was three years ago in guatemala and you see i don't know if you're watching that person's heart so you're preaching with an interpreter number one i always wondered did they really tell you what i just said because i don't know Number two, are they just mincing words 
doing a job? Or do they believe what I'm saying enough to be passionate about it? Brainerd had had an interpreter that was helping him reach Aeneas that did not know Christ and had not trusted Christ. Now he is saved and baptized, and I'm just guessing. His interpreter now interpreted what was being said with a little bit of a different zeal and a different attitude. So God begins to use that to reach more Indians. Only six weeks after his first visit to Crosswick and Brainerd witnessed a spiritual awakening among the Indians. He was greatly encouraged as many came to a saving knowledge of Christ and many more traveled great distances to hear his message. Brainerd took this opportunity to immediately begin discipling a new community of believers. See, he had an opportunity before him where he could make disciples. Not just tell somebody the gospel and then be saved, but to disciple them. That's, that's an obligation every one of us have. You may never have done it, but we're trying to provide tools like with G3 Discipleship where you can sit down and learn how to, sh- how to share the gospel or how to disciple somebody and help them grow. And that's what he started doing. Later on in January 31st, 1746, a schoolmaster arrived, began teaching the children and during the day, the adults in the evening. That spring, he took a huge step in his ministry by moving the Indians from Cross Weeksung to Cranberry, New Jersey. In other words, he's forming a, a, a Christian community of Indians by moving them all to one location. Less than a year after his arrival, Brainerd had a congregation of 130 Christian Indians under his watch care. Listen to what he wrote. I know of no assembly of Christians where there seems to be so much the presence of God, where brotherly love so much prevails, and where I should so much delight in the public worship of God in general as in my own congregation. Although not more than nine months ago they were worshiping devils, and dumb idols under the power of pagan darkness and superstition. Amazing change this. And it was affected by nothing less than divine power and grace. Brainerd's not saying, because I showed up. Because here, David Brainerd's on the scene as a missionary. He said, that's not what happened. He said, it's because of God's divine power and the grace of God. Did you hear what he said? Remember, he's a white man back in the 1700s. He said he knew of no congregation he'd rather worship with than the group of Indians that he'd won to Christ. He knew of no fellowship that had a deeper love for each other than the group of Indians that he'd led to Christ. That, that's the testimony that he gave about the work, the revival that was taking place there in their midst. It was during this time that Brainerd's health took a turn for the worse. He moved into the home of Jonathan Edwards from May 1747 until his death in October. He abruptly died on October the 9th, 1747. And that day, Brainerd had been calling the day of his death before it happened that glorious day. While he was there in the home of Jonathan Edwards, he and the 17-year-old daughter of Jonathan Edwards fell in love. She was providing the health care. They never had the chance to marry before Jonathan Edwards died or not Jonathan Edwards, before David Brainerd died. Jonathan Edwards preached Brainerd's funeral sermon on February the 14th, 1748. Five months later, his daughter also died. Following Brainerd's death, Jonathan Edwards prepared and published in 1749 Brainerd's biography. Here's the name of the biography. 
an account of the life of the late Reverend Mr. David Brainerd. It stayed in print for over 200 years. God used the story of David Brainerd to speak and call many people to missions, including William Carey. Do you remember William Carey's name? He's the first missionary we spoke of in this series. He was an Englishman, not an American. He was an Englishman. He felt called to go to India. And David Brainerd's work as like the first home missionary in America so inspired William Carey that William Carey later wrote a book entitled this, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. That's a straightforward title, isn't it? Well, why don't we just talk like that anymore instead of beat around the bush? Here's what he's saying. We have an obligation, all of us have an obligation to reach heathen people with the gospel. Here's part of what he said about David Brainerd on page 87 of his book. It is true, all the reward is of mere grace. But it's nevertheless encouraging what a treasure, what a harvest must await such characters as Paul and Elliot. That's not Jim Elliot. You understand that. It's a different Elliot who also working with Indians and Brainerd. Did you see what he just did? Can you imagine someone writing about you after you die and putting your name in the same sentence with the Apostle Paul? That's what Carrie did with the life of Brainerd. And he said, in others who've given themselves wholly to the work of the Lord. What a heaven will it be to see the many myers of poor heathens of Britons among the rest. So don't think that Carrie's just putting down the poor heathens. He said, hey, us Britons are heathens too. Us Americans are too. Amen. who by their labors have been brought to the knowledge of God. Surely a crown of rejoicing like this is worth aspiring to. Surely it's worthwhile to lay ourselves out with all our might in promoting the cause and the kingdom of Christ. Can I ask you a question? Can you right now think forward to the day of your death And with a clear, confident conscience of faith, can you look forward and say, what a glorious day. You can't. Maybe there's a problem with your faith. (laughs) I'm not saying necessarily I'm looking forward to die, but I think the Bible teaches this. When I die, things get better. When I die, things pick up. (laughs) And if nothing else but to get to see Jesus face to face, guys. If there's nothing else about heaven except that, that's enough attraction for me. Because he's the one that suffered and died in my place and fully paid my sin penalty so that through faith in him, I can have everlasting life. You see, that kind of faith is only possible through Christ. You can't look at yourself and say, you know, you're going. You can't look at yourself and think I've done enough. That kind of anticipation of death is only ours with that type of assurance when we understand Jesus Christ is whom we believed in and whom we've trusted in. And Before you answer that too quickly in your mind, too hastily and say, but I'm not Paul and I'm not David Brainerd, you need to understand something. That's perfectly fine. God made you to be you. But God has something for you to do also. And if God has it for you to do, as far as God's concerned, it's just as significant as anything David Brainerd or any other missionary did if it's God's call for you. If it's God's call upon your life. God sketched it out. Jesus sketched it out. The pattern of ministry. And Paul followed it. And we need to follow it also. What is that pattern of ministry? Don't be ashamed of Christ and his gospel. Number two, understand that you've got to call yourself from God. 
Number three, be willing to suffer hardships for the sake of Christ and His gospel. Be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ and His gospel if necessary. Number four, live your life with complete confidence in Christ. Remember who you've believed in. Remember, He's able to keep you and everything about you and everything about your faith and everything you do for Him until that day. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray everyone here can think about their day of death right now and view it as a glorious day. Father, I pray all of us who are believers will be inspired by the lives of these missionaries such as David Brainer, such as William Carey, such as others. Father, inspire us to do great things for you. Help us to understand it's not about who we are, but it's about you and your power working through our lives. God, forgive us whenever we're ashamed of the gospel. Forgive us when we get so tied up with the world that we've Fail to take time to recognize you've got a mission for us. You've got a calling for us, each and every believer. Father, help us to be willing to suffer. Not that we long to suffer, but if we have to suffer, help us to be willing to suffer by remembering what you did for us. Remembering that you suffered for us in order that we might be saved. Father, give us complete confidence. Yes, confidence in the finished work of Jesus for our salvation, but Father, on the other side of that, give us complete confidence to face whatever the world sends our way. To face it through faith in you because we know in who we've believed. Lord, if there's someone gathered with us this morning that does not know Christ as Savior, God, I pray that you'd draw them to yourself, that you'd speak to them right now. Father, for the rest of us, as we'll go out the doors of this place in a moment, help us to realize as we live our lives, there may be people hiding in the fringe, in the darkness, watching us. God, Use us somehow as people look from the outside into our tent to grab the attention of a lost world like you grabbed the attention of those Indians that night. God providentially moving our lives to gain the attention of a lost world around us and equip us and empower us to reach them for Jesus' sake. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.